We believe that alcoholism is a disease and that Alcoholics Anonymous is one solution to that disease. I'm here to bring you the voices of its members. Everyone that comes on the show, including myself, is an active member and has found recovery in the rooms of AA. As you listen, please take what works for you and leave the rest. So why do I do keep coming back? That's a good question, Tammy. This is my 12th step work. So I do it in the same way that we would give time to sponsoring or being of service in any other way. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Not that I don't sponsor. I have a sponsee and it's, I don't, it's not the only thing I do. It, I just, it's not to monetize. It's, mm. it's something that you just came up with and God handed it to me and showed me how I to do it and gave me all the tools. And I said, and, and the desire, which mm. I can't force desire if it's not there. So I love doing this. It fills my soul. It makes it very hard to go to work <laughs> like, <laughs> when you have something you enjoy so much, but, mm-hmm. um, but you still got to pay the bills. And I do love my job. It's just, it doesn't fill my soul like this does. It's a good question. It's a good question. So we will start with your name and your sobriety date. We will hear your experience, strength, and hope. And then I will ask you a couple questions and then you can have your Saturday back. Okay. All right. I love this part of my Saturday, though. Oh, me too. You know, I go to my meeting. I get to come here and be of service. It fills the soul, right? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Especially since this is my birthday month. It is. It is. It is. So I'm very excited. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll be quiet while you share. I'll be taking notes and I'll be touching the computer, but uh, I will try not to interrupt and then we'll have a little chat. Okie dokie. All right. So my name is Tiami and I'm an alcoholic and my sobriety date is December 26, 1997. So it's my birthday month. I did not ever try and quit drinking. It just kind of happened. A lot of people don't remember their fir- their last drink. I remember my last drink because it was only a half a beer on Christmas and then I was done. I'll get to that later. So um, I don't remember when I was actually introduced to alcohol. I'd already had alcohol in my system from when I started teething. My parents used rum or al- some form of alcohol in my gums when I was teething. And so I kind of had a taste for alcohol when I was a baby, I guess. And when I was younger, you know, I grew up in the 70s. So my parents would go to parties. And back then, you brought your kids to the parties because why not, right? It's the 70s. Everybody's drinking and doing whatever. And and um, because I had already had sips off my dad's beer, sitting on his lap watching baseball or going to baseball games with them, um, you know, it wasn't a big deal for me to ask for a sip and an adult to give it to me. So I it was always accessible. And I didn't really need alcohol until I was about 15 when I was molested by my mom's boyfriend at the time when I was about nine or 10. And it kind of slipped out at the babysitter's house. And when he came to pick me up, babysitter wouldn't let me go with him. We had to wait for my mom to come and they had a conversation and then 
my mom and her boyfriend and I went outside and he just said, we can't play that game anymore because your mom doesn't like it. So the molestation stopped. Um, I don't remember being traumatized by that, but everything else, I mean, I was only like nine or 10 and that's when you're like developing. And um, I didn't realize that it would affect me until later on when there was even more abuse when they got married when I was 12. And so there was a lot of, um, you know, yelling, calling me names, um, you know, at one point I was like 16 and probably mouthing off because <laughs> that's what 16-year-olds do, right? <laughs> and um, and so he like dragged me into my bedroom and was on top of me choking me and my mom's beating him off and she still didn't leave him. And I never understood why. But then that summer, she did leave him for the summer and it was like the best summer ever. You know, I didn't have to, like, try and track my parents down to, to see if I can go to the mall or go to my friend's house. It's like I could leave a message at my mom's work and just go. You know, I had a key. She knew where I was. She knew what time I'd be home. And it was amazing. You know, and then after the summer, she was like, yeah, I do think we should go back. And it's like there's nothing that I could have done to change her mind. So I just said, you know, if you think that it, he's going to make you happy, then okay, you know, and we went back and it was just even worse, you know, just like when we stop drinking for a while and we go back to it, you just pick up where you left off. And and then some. Yeah, and then some. And um when I was so when I was 15, um it was yeah, I was 15 and that that was when he choked me and then that Summer, it's like everything else started to compound, you know, the name calling and the um, the mistreatment, the, you know, why should I give you money for this, like dance team I wanted to, or drill team or, yeah, I wanted to go on drill team or something like that. And it costs money for material to make our skirts. Like, why should I give that to you? I'm like, because you're my stepfather, <laughs> you know, and my mom um, – didn't really have a lot of money and she didn't really use the child support money like she was supposed to. And just in my opinion. Um, so I, I did a couple of things like extracurricular activities, but they weren't very loving and supportive and, and wouldn't let me do it. Like I wanted to be on, um, the swim team and they didn't want to take me to the college at 5am and they wouldn't let me ride my bike and the buses didn't go that way. And so I wasn't able to do that. Um, there's a lot of things that weren't very loving and supportive, but, you know, I know that he did the best that he could and, and through the 12 steps and fourth and fifth steps, I've done a ton of them. You know, he was on almost all of them. And through that, I was able to forgive him, you know, and he's probably dead now. And I, and I, and I wished him the best, you know, a long time ago. And, um, it has brought a lot of like peace and comfort and serenity. But um, back to when I was 15, I intentionally got drunk on a camping trip with my dad. And <laughs> he caught me making out with this guy. And he threatened the guy, like, if you go any further with him because he was 23, I will kill you. Now, my dad is like a happy drunk to a point, And then sometimes he'll overstep the mark. And then he gets into bar fights. He's like one of those guys that will go, you know, outside the bar, beat somebody up, 
and then come only one guy would be returning. That was my dad. He's mellowed out over the years, thank God. <laughs> um, and um, and he just, you know, he gave me the okay. He's like, you know, I just just drink around me, so then I could watch you. Um, he was trying to teach me how to drink like a lady, but I'm pretty sure I was already an alcoholic. You know, I liked the way it made me feel. I was tall. I was blonde. I was blue eyed. I was skinny because I was. I've always been kind of full figured. <laughs> And, um, you know, it just made me feel confident and I could talk to people. You know, I was that redheaded stepchild that nobody wanted to play with unless I was happy. And when I was happy, I was drunk. And when I stopped drinking, I was very angry and pissed off. And I, um, you know, between like 15 and 19, when I was about 19, I had a fake ID and I went down and, um, you know, went to the clubs and got in, but I didn't drink because I wasn't old enough yet. And I respected my dad. But when I was 21, that's when it really took off. I could drink whatever I wanted to. And I did. And my dad tried to teach me not to mix certain things. So I did anyways. Of course, I threw up. I don't remember ever having a blackout, but I may have had one or two. I don't remember. Um, and I always had friends. Actually, my mom introduced me to this girl that she's she worked with because we were looking for a roommate situation. And then she introduced me to all of her friends because all of my friends were like a year younger. Because um, when I was molested in fourth grade, I was held back. I guess the, there was trauma and I didn't realize there was trauma. And so I was held back, which was even worse. But anyways, um, so I met this girl and she introduced me to all her friends who were you know, like a year older than me. So now I can, I have people to go to clubs with. And then they had other forms of alcohol that I swore I would never do. And I did because it made me feel better. It made me like be able to drink more and it was fabulous. But when I was um, 23, that's when um, I was running upstairs to get more money to score. And my friend at that point says, if you don't stop, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. And three hours later, I called my mom and I said, I need help. And I went over to her house and I said, you know what, mom, um, I know this is an AA recording, but this was my first, um, introduction to this 12 steps of recovery. And she took me to my first, um, cocaine anonymous meeting and they read the steps on the wall, and all I saw was the word God. And I, my grandmother was Catholic and wanted to raise me Catholic, and I feared God. Like, oh, my God, if I can't make a mistake or if I make a mistake, I'm going to go to hell. And if I play by the rules, then I get to go to heaven. And I've already been to hell, so maybe heaven's better, but I didn't know. I really didn't know. But luckily for my both my parents, they were brought up in um, two separate churches. My mom was brought up Catholic. My dad was brought up Presbyterian. And they both left the church because they didn't want to believe in God or guidance or anything like that. And so growing up, um, they exposed me to other paths to a God. You know, I went to a Christian school for two years. I celebrated Jewish holidays with, with my dad's friends. Um, obviously, all the the normal Christian, Catholic kind of holidays. Um, and um, 
So when I got here and they said like, God, this and God, that I was like, oh my gosh, I have to pick a religion. This is not a religious program. It's a spiritual program. You can choose whatever God you want. You can create your own. That's what I really loved about this program. But I didn't understand that the first time. So I went to – my mom took me to my second Cocaine Anonymous meeting, and it was, you know, a different meeting. But it still – it had the 12 steps, and it had, you know, the God thing, and it had all – the stuff that that I used to run from. And the third meeting, um, I went by myself and there was this girl there that was sharing about my story. She had been molested. She had been abused. She had lots of trauma and she stayed sober. It's like, man, if she can do it, I could do it. So I was sober for 30 days and then I celebrated with a beer because why not? I'm an addict. I'm not an alcoholic. No problem. And I was out for three weeks and I came back um, because I, I, I wanted those other forms of alcohol. And, um, you know, and then I had like three months and by this time I had met a him and um, I didn't want to do the program. You know, I was taking up too much of my time. I was going to meetings every day. Nothing was changing because I wasn't working the steps. I wasn't praying to a God that I could create in my own life. And I stopped going to meetings for like a month and a half. And then I ended up 5150'd because I wanted to kill myself. And um, I was there for about a week. And then I'm like, I'm good. I got this. And I was sober for a couple of weeks. And then I drank. I've, I haven't touched drugs since, but I drank because alcohol is my first love. It was my soulmate, my, you know, my kindred spirit, my everything. And, you know, I drank for five and a half years and I married that man and he was a crack addict and we finally broke up. And um, even though I wasn't proud of breaking my vows, it needed to happen so we could be sober. And he did call me um, almost a year after we had split up and said, hey, we need to get divorced. It's like, well, you're MIA. I don't know where you are. And we, we went to the courthouse and we made our amends and, you know, we laughed and cried and it was a beautiful thing, you know, and the clerk was like, are you sure you want to get divorced? It's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it needs to happen. <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, and they didn't see him for um, nine years and in in that period of time I had done, um, you know, fourth and fifth steps around him and how I treated him. And it was horrible. I mean, I was, I was the woman, the person that was the abuser to him, yelling at him, putting him down. You know, it was just awful the way I treated him. And when I finally got to meet him after nine years, like just out of the blue, I got to like talk to him and I had heard about him over those nine years that he had relapsed and then he was in jail and then he was like MIA and it was horrible. Um, and my friend and I were crossing the street to go listen to some live music and some guy was like trying to talk to her and and I was just like ignoring him like, you know, some other guy just wants to hit on us. And I finally turned around when he talked to me and I turned around and that was my ex-husband and I literally like dropped to my knees because he was sober, alive, and I could tell he'd been sober for a long time because he had, like, he used to have only, like, five or six hairs on his chest. And when he would relapse, they would all fall out. 
and he had like a full chest of hair. <laughs> so it's like I know that he was sober. And so to this day, as far as I know, he has four years less time than I do. So I'm so, so grateful that, that you know, we got to like make our real honest like amends and um and it was just beautiful you know to to be able to release that and um yeah and so i met another him and at this time i was um you know so deep in my alcoholism and this guy was sober and slowly he took me out of my environment you know, we would go to hockey games and I would be sober or we'd go out to dinner and I would be sober and I was drinking every day and then I would drink like every other day and then every couple of days. And finally, <clears throat> when um, I realized like I hadn't had a drink in three weeks and then on Christmas, you know, I would always kick back and drink beer and watch football with his dad and I remember my my team was playing, and I had a half a beer, and I just didn't want it anymore. And it was my favorite, and I didn't want it anymore. I had never not wanted my favorite beer. And then the next day, I didn't have a drink. And the next day, I didn't have a drink. And then in January, I was diagnosed with pancreatitis, and the doctor said, if I drink, I'm going to die. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. So I was on a bland diet for two weeks, and I... And then my boyfriend took me out to dinner or something. I had some garlic. And a half an hour later, I was in the ER screaming my head off because it hurt so bad. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, if garlic does this to me, what's alcohol going to do to me? So I'm like, I'm never drinking again. And I had 30 days, and he gave me my 30-day chip, just bought one. And then I had 60 days, and he gave me another 60-day chip. And by the time I was almost three months sober, I, it finally hit me. Like, oh, my gosh, I can never drink again. And, you know, the first time I got sober, um, it was um, March 19th of 1992. My second sobriety date is May 15th of 1992. Um I had a big book from five and a half years before that, and I just read page 449 in the big book, which is the third edition. Um, I had a one-year hope chip from when I first came in, um, and I had him. You know, he was like my higher power, my sponsor, whatever, and I didn't go to any meetings my first year. Not a good idea because when we broke up when I was almost two years sober, I was not in the program I was not connected and I didn't know what to do with myself and I found that he cheated. So I stopped eating, but I was going to so many meetings and I was scared and I didn't know what to do and had to move out of our house. And I went to the meeting and my friend said, you know, why don't you just come to this pool party? And I'm like, why? I have to move out of the house. And she's like, don't worry, we'll find people to help you. And I'm thinking, nobody helped me before. Why would they help me now? And um, within a half an hour, I had like six guys with trucks going, whenever you want to leave, we'll go. And they had me in and out of that house in half an hour or maybe like an hour. I mean, furniture, clothes, packed the kitchen, everything. It was amazing. And I was just crying because that was the first time that I had a tribe to help me out of a situation. And, you know, to this day, I... 
when I, I didn't work my steps until I was almost four years sober, which again, don't follow me. <laughs> um, you know, I just couldn't get a sponsor that I trusted. And that was, you know, my doing. They didn't have anything to do with anything. It was, you know, the people that I chose to, to sponsor me. And, and um, I mean, I finally worked all 12 steps when I was four years, when I was almost four years sober. And when I was done, I was like, man, why didn't I do this like years ago? You know, because when I was almost two years sober and we broke up and I didn't know what to do, I slit my wrist because I didn't want to give up my sobriety. I didn't want to go down like that. And I wasn't going to give him one more thing to take away from me. And ever since, um, you know, when I finished my steps and I needed to move, I needed a place to live and I needed money for my car payment. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And, and every time I gave God a list, he would give me the list, but it wasn't good for me. And this time it was different. All I did was ask God to help me. Just, you know what I need, just please help me. And within three days, I had a job, I had a place to live. And because someone asked me to be of service, to go to a detox center and speak, I was honest about where I was at. It's like, yeah, I have a couple of years, but it's not perfect. And this is what I'm doing. And so afterwards, the guy that was that was um, leading the chair said, you know, I have a job. I can loan you money for your car payment. And I said, okay, every paycheck, I will give you $50. I was like, here's my bank account. Just deposit the money in. I'm like, okay. And I did. Every paycheck, I deposited money, and I paid him back. You know, and it's just like every time I think that, you know, what is God trying to tell me? It's like sometimes it's like, dude, what the hell am I supposed to do with this situation? And, you know, he just always gives me everything that I need. You know, I mean, the past six months, actually this whole year has just been horrific for me and my sobriety. Um, you know, in January, my son started uh, um, acting just depressed and just weird. And by March... Um, he was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and then me not being able to work because I need to stay home with him because he can't go to school. He's too depressed to go to school and he's suicidal. And, you know, so I'm missing work and I work for myself. So it's not like I get any kind of benefits. Um, you know, it was a strain on me and I have, you know, mental issues as well. And I was diagnosed in June with PTSD and major depressive disorder. And my son finally started counseling in May. I finally started counseling in September. Um, and so a lot of my stuff with my son, with me not being able to clean my house, with not being able to work, it's like people came to help me. They cleaned my son's room. They, they um you know, they did my dishes, they vacuumed my house, they brought me food, they gave me clothes, they, you know, um, loaned me money to pay my rent. And I finally got a job after not working for five and a half months. And, you know, I'm still behind. I was so behind. And I started this GoFundMe page and uh, my sponsor called and says, you know, we have an anonymous um, donor that wants to loan you the money. And I was like, oh, my God, it was $1,500, you know. And so it's like I was able to pay my November rent and December rent. And that's not what AA does. AA is not like a bank. However, people have 
reached into the darkness and pulled me out. You know, they've taken me to meetings. They've called to check up on me to make sure I'm okay. They've called to make sure that my son is okay, that he's safe. And Alcoholics Anonymous is like, I don't know, it's it's amazing. It's a miracle. It's like the love and support and laughter and um, just it's the joy of living. You know, it says in the big book, this is a design for living. This is the stuff that we should have learned as children, but we didn't. And that's okay. You know, I mean, the the people that I have that are surrounding me are loving and kind and generous, and I get to do that for them. I I feel like I am not able to give as much as I want to, but I look around and I'm like, I'm giving as much as I'm being asked to give. You know, I mean, I, I pick up someone for a ride on Tuesdays. I, you know, show up to do this podcast with my friends twice. 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 <laughs> um, you know, I have sponsees that call me and um, I call my sponsor. It's like I have an amazing life. I have a wonderful, loving new boyfriend. He's a normie. And so it's weird. <laughs> My last relationships have been with people in the program, and um, they've been wonderful, too. They've taught me lessons. and um, But, you know, the end of this year has just been like, whew, you know, here's the miracle. I didn't leave five minutes before the miracle. You know, I mean, I'm, I've never once thought about drinking this whole year with all this stuff because I have a God of my own understanding. And sometimes I call him God. Sometimes it's dude. Sometimes it's the universe. Sometimes it's source. Sometimes it's like, you know, I can call him whatever I want or her or unisex. It doesn't matter. I get to, I get to create what I need. And what I need is I need to feel safe and I need to feel loved and supported. And that's what my God is to me. And, um, I really want to thank my sweet friend for asking me to do this podcast. I hope that I've been able to at least reach one person from this. And um, so thank you. Thank you, Tammy. I love the the last thing you said there in that I need to feel safe because uh, we just talked about this in the last episode, and that's this need to feel safe. And when I get confused— I'm thinking things I should not be thinking or feeling things I don't want to be feeling. I can shut those down with you are safe. You are safe. You are safe. I smile a little bit and I just tell myself, Tara, you are safe. You are safe. You are safe. And it solves pretty much all negative emotion. (laughs) Yeah. And the other mantra I use, too, is they can't hurt me anymore. Whoever they are. They can't hurt me anymore because I'm protected by this blanket of AA. (laughs) Yeah. And this higher power, this higher power um, flexibility with what higher power works for you. Mm -hmm. I thought that was amazing because I also grew up with in Catholicism and I still struggle with a punishing God. I I don't fear hell. I, I didn't have that that you spoke to, but I definitely have a had and as you can tell, still have a God that is punishing. And I have to remind myself that I, that that's not my God, right? That's not 
I, there aren't consequences. I'm not being taught a lesson. I'm being given an opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. And so there's this flexibility with the higher power in the program. And I thought that was great because of the reasons I just explained. But what I'm finding now several years in is my higher power gets to change. I don't have to choose once. Like you said, you call you have different names and genders and non-genders. I, I get to let it be fluid. And as I have more experiences, what I feel and what I believe gets to mold and mend. And that's okay. And that's just the best religion ever. <laughs> Wait a minute. It's not a religion. It's a spiritual program. Yes. Spiritual yes. program. Uh, definitely my tribe. Definitely my tribe. So for the alcoholic that's out there still suffering, that perhaps has never found their way to the rooms or um, tried it and for whatever reason left or is not in the rooms right now, what can you say to that person suffering in silence? You're not alone. There is help. And what we talked about in the women's meeting I went to this morning was um, we've been there too. We've been institutionalized or um, hospitalized, hospitalized. We've been, you know, abused and trauma. And um, there is always at least one other person that has been through what you've been through and has stayed sober and worked through that. It's I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous is a safe place. If you're male, go to a men's meeting. If you're female, go to a women's meeting. And you're safe. It's just a safe place to be. So come join us. We're not a cult, I promise. (laughs) Definitely. I did think that when I went to my first meeting. Uh I did think that. I did think, wow. And then at the very end, like, wait a minute. We're We're going to get in a circle and touch each other? (laughs) I'm out of here. And it did take three years for me to make it back into the rooms. but Mm -hmm. I remember. But perhaps if there was something like this where I can listen from a distance... And relate. And I think your story is so relatable. I'm surprised by your story um, because you you were my very first sponsor (laughs) right outside of rehab. So I went to rehab and then I actually have something from the first time I met you. Can you hand me that big book by your feet? So this is my big book and my 12 and 12. And I've been through a few big books because I've had a few sponsors that forced me to highlight stuff. And I follow directions most of the time. Yes. But then I have to get a new big book when I get a new sponsor. So I've you know, been through several of them. <laughs> but I have a post-it here from when I very first met you, which has, you wrote your name and your email address. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. And that was in 2010. 10. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I have written first sponsor, October 2010, Thursday night meeting. That's right. And, uh, wow. And I keep it there inside my, so my 12 and 12, my point is Mm -hmm. I've been through a few big books. I only have one 12 and 12. I bought Mm -hmm. it when I was in rehab and it's Mm -hmm. my one and only 
And um, I keep your post-it in there because um, I was so lost when I left rehab and you gave me some some boundaries and guidance and love that I had not had from anywhere else before. Mm, And not ready for. Not ready for. (laughs) Well, you didn't have to bring that up. You could have just left it. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I have not been sober since then. Mm. But... um, yeah. It did take me a few years to catch to catch sobriety, mm-hmm. um, but when you are exposed to the elements of AA and the way of living and the joy, it's really all I was seeking in bottles, whatever mm-hmm. kind of bottles they may have been. And I've mm-hmm. tried several versions of alcohol, and it was always that happiness. And you had said earlier, when I was happy, I was drunk. And it's like, well, that wasn't really happiness. What we have now is happiness. We thought that was happiness. I did not believe that happiness existed. I remember seeing someone's post. I'm not on social media. I lost my privilege. Keep keep Coming Back is on Twitter. (laughs) Um, But uh, I remember reading a post on Facebook and somebody was just talking about how happily married they were. And I'm standing there in my kitchen thinking, what, people are actually happy? Like, how, how are mm. you happy? How, how do you actually have happiness in a marriage and happiness in a life? And I did not know what happiness was or did I believe that it existed until I stuck around the rooms of AA for a while. And it did take me three years of wanting it but not being done drinking. So I wanted mm. to be sober, but I didn't want to quit drinking. And that is the desire they talk about as the only requirement. Mm -hmm. And so you guys allowed me in the rooms and you let me keep coming back. I had a desire to quit. It just wasn't done drinking. Mm -hmm. And that's that that predicament that we get in. We're in the relapse. But I had um, somebody here recently who relapsed after years and years of sobriety. And it dawned on me since then how easy it is to talk yourself into drinking again. Mm-hmm. And I see really strong women in the program and assume that they're safe. And none of us are safe. No. We're just not safe. <clears throat> and it doesn't mean we're scared of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary taught me I respect it. Mm-hmm. And I don't entertain thoughts of it. Mm-hmm. And I do what I should do. Yeah. And... Uh, and that's why we keep going to meetings. Yeah. You know? And just going to meetings isn't enough. No. I mean, I did that for a while and I started going a little bit of cuckoo because I kept taking and taking and taking and not giving it away. And there was also a time where I caught a resentment and I didn't go to a meeting for three months except my once a month meeting. And again, I was a little bit of cuckoo. I'm like, I can't do that. And that was what, four years ago when I did that. And... So I was like, what, 17 years sober? That was a really hard year for me where I had a sponsor that wasn't working out. And, um, you know, just because we're sober and we may have decades of of recovery doesn't mean that we're all well and wonderful. You know, we constantly have to remain teachable. We have to remember that, I mean, even people that are normies, that um, maybe they go to church every Sunday, maybe they just are good people, they change as well. 
they grow and they change. The same thing with um, people in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's like we grow and we change and our needs change and our lives change. We, we become you know, parents or grandparents. And so now we have a different role in life. I mean, sometimes, we're, and then we're an old timer in AA and we're looked up to by somebody who's new. It's like, don't look up to us. We are not gods. We just have more experiences of how to be sober. I mean, I am no closer to a drink than the person who drank yesterday because I go to meetings. I call my sponsor. I reach my hand out to the newcomer. I, you know, I do what I was taught to do in early sobriety. Do I do it consistently every single day? Maybe not. But I have the awareness to see where am I lacking? You know, where where's the ba- where am I out of balance? And that gets me through the, another day. And I'm so grateful that I can remain teachable and, you know, be able to see you, <laughs> my my wonderful friend. Don't um, look so surprised. <laughs> I told her how many years I had, and I was she fell shocked. Off her I know I was <laughs> shocked because, um, you know, but it takes what it takes, you know. And we don't always come in on our first try and stay sober forever. Um, a few of us do, and I'm not one of them. And and that's okay. You know, I'm so grateful that you're here today. And, you know, I was really sad when we had to part ways as as a sponsor, sponsee. And, you know, I certainly look back on that and think, like, what could I have done better? How could I have better taken care of you? Um, I don't think it was anybody's fault. I think it was just maybe, you know, where we were at in our in our separate lives. I'd only been living here for a year and a half um, under new sponsorship with new guidance and new rules and suggestions. And, you know, and, um, you know, I'm just grateful that I was able to at least be, um, you know, your first face of AA. You know, I mean, not a lot of people get that. They they get the the person who's had like four so you know four um, sponsors and just like oh my god here we go another one you know and so I'm glad that I was able to um, at least give you a taste of what AA is all about because if it was a horrible experience you probably would not be here that is true I have no credit whatsoever but you were willing to do the work. As to your best of your ability. And here you are with six years of sobriety, you know, because I'll, all I did was pass on to you what I learned, you know, and I'm just, I'm, I don't know. I've had tons and tons of sponsors as well. And we just, sometimes we grow out of them and sometimes we change and we need something new. The sponsor that I have now has everything that I need. You know, I need someone that can walk me through my outside issues and still live the principles of AA in my everyday life. You know, it's an enmeshed kind of life. And I didn't have that before with another sponsor. You know, it was like, all the answers are in AA. Well, yeah, but it also says I need outside help. And I also need to be there for my family. I'm a single mom, 24-7. I can't just leave my kid alone. 
Well, at that time, he was too young. Now he's 13. Uh, feed yourself. <laughs> you know how to use the microwave. <laughs> um, you know, and the sponsor that I had before that um, didn't understand that I needed to miss a meeting because my son is sick, you know, and um, I need to take care of my family as well as take care of my recovery. Just because I'm not taking care of my recovery today doesn't mean that I'm not going to take care of it tomorrow. And um, I have a, a sponsor today that helps me balance life, all aspects of it. That is the trick to life is balancing it all. Yes. Balancing I mean, it. In AA, when someone asks you for help, the answer for me is is always yes. Mm-hmm. If it's a reasonable, obviously, request, it's the answer is always yes. Mm-hmm. And there's that balance of enabling. So when you talked about, I don't know if there was anything else I could have done for you when mm-hmm. you were sponsoring me, there's nothing you could have done. And I actually sponsor and give advice to women that relapse a lot. I'm kind of a hard ass because it otherwise it becomes enabling. So if mm-hmm. you had done anything different or anything softer or any, it would have just been enabling. I would have been getting away with what I've been getting away with even more. And that's not what I needed. I, mm-hmm. I Someone needs to be honest with someone when they're relapsing. They need to call them out on their shit. Because when we're relapsing, we're really lying to ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're just manipulating our ourselves. And so there's this... Um, appreciation I have for you and the way that you sponsored and you did not Mm. could not have done anything differently (laughs) Um, okay good it's cunning baffling and powerful and because of my higher power um, I have been able to get in touch with my intuition and this year I really like embodied that to where I'm really paying attention You know, I mean, God doesn't have to give me these big, huge neon signs that say stop anymore. It's kind of like a little nudge. You might want to look at this first. And I learned how to respond, not react, because now I'm pausing. Like the big book says, we pause when agitated and we get to learn how to process what's going on with us. It's okay for us to feel. It's, It's more important for us to feel than to think. Because, I mean, come on, where are I thinking get us? <laughs> Drunk. <laughs> yeah, so I just, um, I love AA. <laughs> it's an awesome program. I think there should be like a non-AA 12-step program for everybody. <laughs> it's on my list of books I'm going to write. Yes, can I help you? <laughs> yes, let's do it. Oh, I'm on I it. might hold you to that. <laughs> I am so on it. I was like, do I really need to get like permission from... Like world service to be able to use the 12 steps and reword it. Well, I'm more of a ask for forgiveness and not permission kind of person. <laughs> ask my boss. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. Thank you so much, Tammy. Yeah, I love you. you. I love you too. I'm so proud of you. See what happens when you keep coming back. It's like, don't beat yourself up if you relapse and you come back. We're grateful that you came back. For more information, read the first 164 pages of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous or visit keepcomingback.net.